Now what happens is once a, once a quarter, now you have cannabis tax reporting. Now what's interesting is you think you're, you're done because you have the two pieces. You have a cultivation side and you have a, uh, a retail side. Oh, but there's more. What happens is that when you do the reporting, they also want to know how much is for uh, medical use and how much is for adult use. So now you think to yourself, how in the world do I get that information? Because the cultivator has no clue when he sells that product, okay? Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. I am Tom Anderson. I'm Bruce Anderson. And we are live at the Accounting and Finance Show Los Angeles at the LA Convention Center. And when in LA or when in California, what better topic other than cannabis to speak about? Yeah, so thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Thomas, for uh, for joining us. Um, I, you know, this is my very first cannabis experience in terms of podcasting. Uh, I know nothing, like almost nothing about it from the CPA perspective, from the accounting world. So I'm eager to hear from you like everything I need to know in the next 30 minutes. The only thing I know yeah. is no, no, no pressure is, uh, on the <laughs> iTunes, uh, top podcast charts for business news is us and marijuana daily. Keep exchanging. Who's oh, yeah. the best 40, 41, 42. They're right there. Mm-hmm. Neck and neck. The mar- so hopefully with this episode, we'll pass marijuana daily in the iTunes charts. Yeah. Maybe we could do a crossover episode at some point. This will get their possible. attention. So Bruce, why does it here on your business card? It say Bruce at cannabis tax. What was the deal with like going all in on cannabis? So the, uh, the situation that uh, presented itself was that uh, Tom had been involved in the cannabis space since 2005, 2006, 2007. Uh, the tax, excuse me, the laws changed in 2017. And so in 2018, he came to me and said, are you in? And so we then started thinking about the positioning of the business. And if you notice, our business cards actually have two sides of them. So we have oh, one, okay. which is a traditional card. Yep. And then we have specialized with a practice area specifically for cannabis. And that way, it identifies that we're basically in it from a standpoint of specializing and, um, and providing services in that area. Niche. Niche. My favorite thing. Yeah. And then David, of course, has been telling people for years that... If you want to be successful as an accountant these days, you really need to find a, a, a well, I like to say niche, but we can, we can agree to niche, disagree on that. boutique, maybe. Yeah, boutique. Uh, so, like, what are the biggest challenges that cannabis businesses face, and, like, how, how are you helping them solve those challenges? So I think the the interesting part about it is that um, this is a new industry for legalized cannabis. And so therefore, there's a lot of really good operators that have been in the business for years and years and years. And yet, them to be now faced with taxation is a huge, big thing. Uh, You also have those that have come in from just the investment standpoint or other industries. And they're coming in and saying, wow, this is a really cool thing. I'm going to make my, you know, my gazillion dollars at it. And and it's a situation where if they're not schooled well and and managed properly, they're going to really fall on their face. And and the biggest thing is, and I'll leave this to Tom, is is really the the local municipal tax is is such a huge thing in the licensing if you don't have local licensing you're, you're not in business well also i would like to add that in 2005 six, seven, 90 percent of the people i was dealing with were street gangsters mafioso types you know organized organized crime syndicate types and if you fast forward to current time there's maybe five percent of those types of folks in the business 
The other 95% are advanced degree holders, chemistries, chemists, uh, PhD holders, uh, MBA holders, you know, folks that have been given higher education, so they really know how, what they're doing. They're not just winging it. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that have the business acumen to acquire those licenses, where some of these street guys just don't know how to do it. So how do you, you know, this is a podcast about cloud accounting. How... How do you do cloud? How do you do technology in an environment where I understand banking is very difficult to come by, and it's a very ca it's still very cash based, right? Or is that different? Am I well? So that's two questions, if I understand you know. it. One is 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 the uh, how do we do the uh, uh, accounting? And yeah, yeah. The how second do do the half is what do we do with money now that we've <laughs> accounted it? Yeah. So the first part is simply uh, I prefer hosted. I don't, I don't prefer having servers on, on site, you know, fire, flood, theft, raid, whatever. But, you know, for example, QuickBooks Online or a, a hosted QuickBooks Enterprise are my two, two preferred mm -hmm. go-tos, uh, provided the client goes along. Um, and then as far as what happens with the cash, now there are third-party, um, what was the specific term again? Non-bank financial institutions. Thank you. Non-bank mm -hmm. financial institutions. It's like uh, PayPal-esque type operations with mm -hmm. little, little quirks for each one. And effectively, that way you can convert your money into that currency, if you want to use the term currency, uh, purchase from the, uh, uh, the vendor. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, that vendor now has, has it in their account. They transfer it to their, their standard bank account. So, sorry, are we talking about cryptocurrency in this situation, or are these just uh, uh, like Venmos or you know, what? mostly Venmos? But you mentioned crypto. I smile because I think of Dennis Rodman flying to North Korea on all his money he made from crypto, <laughs> from Potcoin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I must have missed that one. Yeah, yeah, he went and met. With, I didn't know. Uh, he, I didn't know that was crypto. Yeah, he 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 funded that expedition on crypto. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I think I, I think if you go back to your issue about cloud accounting, yeah, it's a very important feature that you understand the layers associated with uh, with the cannabis space. So with the permanent licensing that now is in place in some of the clients within uh, within uh, California and some of the license holders, now there is metric to report to, which basically is about eighteen touches to it. Uh, it starts with um, with um, uh, cultivation and goes goes completely through to retail right. and includes uh, waste. So therefore, it's 18 touches to report. So anytime the product moves in the cannabis space, it has to report. The problem is, though, is that if you're not a permanent license holder, then you don't have to report yet. But that'll change as we go down the line. The second layer down then is what we call seed to sale or cannabis software layer. And the important feature there is that that really is the operational piece of software that's involved. And so it just depends on if you're micro or if you have a particular vertical. Mm -hmm. If you're a dispensary, maybe you're a, a point of sale only. If you're a cultivation through um, through distribution, then you're going to have those components that are part of your currency to sale software. The important thing is that uh, operators of literally any size need to have that seed to sale software because there's going to be uh, ongoing auditing that will right. occur. And, and if you don't have a nice seed to sale, then what's going to happen is you're going to be uh, defending yourself against records you don't have. Mm -hmm. so, because so, the state's going to come in and have reports and, and you won't have the associated amounts. So I want to make sure I understand this. So when you say seed to sale, you're saying every time 
the product is what is it's like inventory tracking inventory through it's a inventory manufacturing control. process kind of that sort of thing okay because I, I remember that from my cost accounting class right is every time we move inventory we, we add to it you know we have to track that so yes. we're doing that with the 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 cannabis products. Absolutely. Four, four points. It's if you create a product, modify a product, move a product physically from one bin or location to another, and then destroy it. Got it. So there's specialized software that has been developed for this industry? Yes. There are approximately 60, almost 70 uh, programs called seed to sale or track and trace programs. I went through uh, quarter three last year and literally called every single one of them up, surveyed them with a 119-question survey and a few open-ended questions just to see how they feel to them. Um, immediately off the bat, I knocked anybody off who did not have... Uh, let me rephrase that. I removed from my list anybody who did not have an API connection. I Sim- was thinking that myself. I was like, as you described this, if, if a grower is using App A... And the sellers using app B, you, but you have to track that data moving across. Did they have to have APIs? I was thinking APIs that. is the best way to go. Uh, and the reason I say that is that metric is notoriously slow. I, I'm attributing it to bandwidth. Can you define metric? Metric is uh, a program uh, produced by Franwell Incorporated. Franwell uh, made their bones by tracking and tracing blueberries and E. coli and other agricultural uh, bacteria, so on and so forth. Uh, Franwell then also uh, produced METRIC, which is it's an acronym for Marijuana Enforcement Tracking Reporting Compliance. Now, that is the government side of the software. So you've got your three layers of software. You've got your, your, your let's say, your QuickBooks or counter financials, fi- QuickBooks or financial accounting layer. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your seed to sale, which some folks will refer to as like a, a manufacturing progr- right, okay. program or whatever. And then that, in turn reports to the state. Oh, and, and the API will allow it to report automatically, like That's integrate. right. That's oh. right. Now, wow. I've personally experienced uh, a 10-hour latency putting in a sheet, a single sheet of 50 transactions into metric before. Mm-hmm. So the reason I mention that is that's like the horror stories that you'll hear from other operators. Uh, now, in this instance... Uh, this was about a year, year and a half ago, when some of these programs were still, I would say, in puberty, not quite fully grown up. At this juncture, however, I would not try doing try, try doing any manual metric entries at, at all. I would just use API and let it go. So you mentioned there's like 60 or 70 of these programs out there, but you've narrowed down the list because you eliminated anyone without an API. I so, didn't want to put my name behind yeah. recommendation and have a potential multi-million dollar client fall on their face. So who's, uh, you know, is it is it one app that has risen to the top for you guys that you recommend that you use? Is there a QuickBooks of the cannabis world? Yes. <laughs> or is Good it a call. handful or like well, what's it look like? Um, it, it depends on the vertical. Um, if you're looking at a full micro business, meaning cultivation all the way through sales, then there are, I would say, three or four that I would point out. One would be Biotrack THC. One would be Proteus 420. Uh, another one would be Leaf Logics. Um, and then if you're talking, and those would be for growers that they grow and they sell their own product. This actually would go through all three stages of of agricultural accounting, manufacturing accounting, and then sales accounting, and and it would track and trace the seed to the yield to the conversions, if it's made into an extract, 
the, that tracking as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything has a tra- has a, everything has a UID or a unique identifier, which is like a twenty six or twenty eight digit identifier so therefore everything gets traced all the way to the point of sale to the consumer and that and that those apps will do it all those from, apps will do okay. it all yes so then um, and so what you were you were going to continue with a different there's more than one type right uh, well so if more, the one uh, vertical. my focus has always been in, uh, uh, until the last two years has been in distribution and, and in retail so i've always looked at those programs um, however, now the shift seems to be going towards the whole micro business model where they have three or four licenses from cultivation through distribution. Oh, and those are separate licenses. That They're you have all to have. separate okay. licenses, yes, sir. Wow. Yes. Uh, and do you help your clients apply for those licenses and get those licenses? Is that part of what well, you do? Well, in the past, yes, but in more common times, I've been advised that it's probably best to have an attorney do that. Yeah. Simply so, it's not like you're practicing with a license. Right. Got it. So, Bruce, if you could speak to this, obviously, because you are your dot tax, right, is your domain name now. The reason all these uh, states are legalizing cannabis is the taxes. They want to collect taxes. Yes. Like, is that simple? Is it like, how is this taxed? (laughs) Like, how are they going to collect the taxes? Like, how does this all break down? So it's a it's it's an interesting area because first of all you start with municipal taxes and uh, you have to have a municipal license before you can move upstream to get your state license. So in the, at the state level, uh, sorry, at the local level, uh, you're going to have different um, uh, prices or, or costs associated with each each of the licenses based upon uh, the prevailing local. Uh, area that you're in. So, for example, in Long Beach, if you're a cultivator, it's done by square foot. If you're in Los Angeles, then it's based upon uh, a percentage of the overall sales associated with um, with uh, uh, that particular area. And the other interesting thing about local taxes is that you're if you have a micro, then you're taxed at the at the last touch point of that business entity. So, for example, if you only are cultivating and you invoice there, then you're going to have a cultivation tax. If you're if you have cultivation to distribution, then and then the cultivation has nothing, and distribution gets taxed. And if you go right through to retail, then you escape all taxes until you get to retail, and then you get popped with taxes at the at the retail level. And, and is it is it like more if I do it if I do the whole thing soup to nuts or what seed to what seed to call, sale seed to sale. <laughs> Good one. If I do the whole thing seed to sale, then is it is there a tax benefit to doing that? Is that or is it? Is it's it a tax just, benefit to the local okay. agency because the local agency is going to be taxed either five or ten percent at the retail level, or it's one or two percent at the at the earlier levels. So, so I live right. in the San Fernando Valley, and I understand that uh, we have a lot of empty warehouse space in the valley, and that's part of the reason why we have lower taxes on cultivation. And is that correct? Have I heard? Have I heard right? Like. I'm just curious. I guess that might be by default, not by design. Uh, however, that being said, you know the issue is not necessarily that the empty warehouse space is is, is as a result of, yeah. of this industry. Is it could be simply zoning. Zoning is a huge issue. So there are certain areas in there's uh, and I, I should have brought a map for you. There's a, a map LA City DCR Department of Cannabis Regulations has put out which show areas that have bubbles, which are basically like here's a school, here's a church, can't have a dispensary nearby, uh, versus, for example, industrial parks where you might have a cluster. 
Now, then there's the other rule, which is they have to be 650 feet apart, I believe. Uh, it, it fluctuated. Each one has to be 650 That's right. feet so apart That's right, so there's no the oversaturation. Okay. And then there are two other parts I want to mention. One is that the uh, LA City DCR only wants to issue another 150 retail licenses, and those are all going to have preference towards social equity. So that's going to take a little while because uh, city council's dragged it out to November. So right now it's almost a freeze on on retail. And then in closing on that, you you have uh, a, a drive, a, a shift of folks who want to stay in the industry, but they can't make any money on retail. Too many competitors and too many, as I call, black ops or fly-by-night ops, which are basically unlicensed shops that look licensed, but they're not. Mm. And those are the guys that are undercutting because they're not paying any taxes, and it it creates quite a conundrum and and, and uh, a quite quite a lot of confusion. Yeah. Do you have an idea as to like how much of the business is legitimate mm-hmm. versus you know black market? Uh, the statistics I continue to hear it's eighty-eight to ninety percent black market. Really? Mm-hmm. That wow! Happens. And that's because of the well. It sounds like taxes. there's a lot of complexity in the tax and it's expenses. Taxes. I call it the Italy model. You see, in Italy they have the highest, some of the highest tax rates in the world, but they also have the highest black market activity in the world. Right. Now, if you look at that model and you find other countries with high tax rates, it's the same. So now here we have California, which is almost its own country at this point, and they're talking about uh, what was it, forty-nine or 40, forty-seven or forty-nine percent total after you've paid corporate tax, sales tax, excise tax, local tax, everything. So half your money's gone. Uh, so some operators who are not savvy are are getting washed out of the industry. Others are holding on, uh, but. Hope that open, hope that kind of gives you yeah. a little perspective. No, that just, I mean, being a Californian, it doesn't surprise me that we would legalize an industry, but then make the cost of compliance so high as to drive the legal operators out of business. That's essentially what seems to be happening here, right? Yes, like, and there was a motion in the uh, assembly in the lower house of, uh, in the assembly. Uh, five uh, uh, five assemblymen, two from LA had actually proposed that we drop the excise tax from 15 to 11%. And I thought that was great. A wonderful way to, to, to uh, stimulate the legal economy. But that got shot down. So we'll see what's the next piece of legislation that comes through. So a lot of the legislation is the local municip- cities, right? I mean, municipalities. Right? Local. Then you get the counties and they get the states. Counties are, are, are not involved in the process. Counties are not. Okay. Yeah. But uh, at the state level, then, you have an interesting uh, s- series of splits where there's actually three different taxes paid at the state level. Um, all are through CDTFA, which is the Calif- the, the old uh, uh, Board of Equalization Group, which now is a, a fancier title, uh, which then is split into two pieces. One is a traditional sales tax you pay on anything. Uh, and then for the other part, then they call it 
cannabis tax, but then because of the misunderstanding about how that's defined, then they actually have two pieces of excise tax. One is on the cultivation side, and one is on the uh, is on the distribution side. So what happens is cultivation has three splits to it, is and it's and it's paid by the ounce of product. Just think about that by the ounce of the products that are being put into the market. Okay. And uh, and then on the and, and that's on the cultivation side, and that is when products are being sold from cultivator to distributor. Who is the remitter of that tax? Is the distributor. So what happens is when the cultivator is selling the t- selling the product, he also has to pass along he or she has to pass along the tax because the cultivator can't remit the tax. He's not does not have a license for that. So that's on that's on half of the state. Uh, cannabis tax, as they call it. Now what happens is the product is, is repackaged, may go through manufacturing, other situations, and then it goes from the uh, distributor to a retailer. That's another excise tax. Okay? So now that tax is at 24% of the, of the wholesale price or 15% of the retail price, which is a, which is a ratio that the state uh, selects. Okay? Now what happens is once a, once a quarter, now you have cannabis tax reporting. Now what's interesting is you think you're, you're done because you have the two pieces. You have a cultivation side and you have a, uh, a retail side. Oh, but there's more. What happens is that when you do the reporting, they also want to know how much is for uh, medical use and how much is for adult use. Okay, so now you think to yourself, how in the world do I get that information? Because the cultivator has no clue when he sells that product. Okay, that doesn't make no sense. It makes no sense. Okay, <laughs> absolutely no sense at all. Yeah. And 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 then when you go to to even the last step, which is which is the the distributor to the to the retailer, it's the same product. There's no packaging differential at all with that. So basically what happens is you, you, you have this goofy component to the tax reporting, which basically makes no sense and there's no guidance for that. So how do you, how do you advise your clients on, on reporting that information? Like, so do, you, you, you have to just be consistent in the way you do that. And, and if you're a micro, then, then what I use sometimes as a guide is, well, what was the ratio in which the retailer sold the product between medical and adult use? And then I just push just it back push through the it system. Push it back through the system. Yeah. Got it. But, but there's no clarity on that at all. Well, also, uh, one, one other thing to note is that uh, when you walk into a retail establishment now, brick-and-mortar retail, not, not delivery, they uh, will generally just assume the direct and you have to bring out your paperwork and show that you are medicinal and you're reg- registered with the state agency and so on and so forth. Oh, so the same retail establishment will sell both adult use and yes, medical correct. use. That's correct. Okay, I wasn't. They the licenses. See, this, this all comes back to that uh-huh. whole slippery slope argument, but it's it's pairing licenses and eventually merging. And so you get a different price if it's medical versus adult. Five percent less tax. Okay, yeah. got it. It's like my Costco card or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They don't sell yet. Yeah. (laughs) They're not yet. We're waiting for the Walmart of weed, that's all. So so, so how does uh, the average accountant or bookkeeper that has a client come in that's in the cannabis industry and they're going to engage that client? Is it it something they should do? Should they punt them? Should they go find you? Like, 
What's somebody supposed to do? Because this sounds so co- overly complicated, and it's changing. It probably is not even the same environment it was 18 months ago. I, I, I have news feeds which basically show articles like you guys are recapping the news. If everybody doesn't know that, uh, you guys recap the news once a week. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah. And, and and I have news feeds. Tom has new feeds, which are basically stuff coming in every day. It's the Marijuana new Daily podcast. New stuff you know? every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Okay. What I do is wh- whatever jurisdiction my current active client is in, I'll go subscribe to the city council feeds, get the minutes, find out when they're having their agendas, what they're discussing, who's voting on what. Uh, call this stalkerish, if you will, but I'll find out who the city council people are, their religion, their race, do they have a family, do they not, uh, are they conservative, are they liberal, so on and so on and so forth, and build profiles such that we can then lobby. I think back to your question about what is the new person entering the market as an accountant that wants to be in the, in the space. Um, I think they have to really contemplate how they want to proceed in the area. If you talk about uh, just doing accounting work, bookkeeping work, it can be comfortable, okay? And and it can be maybe not overwhelming. Uh, at four o'clock today, we have a cannabis accounting um, session and we talk about some of the uniqueness of, of the area. Um, there does not appear to be um, a lot of activity with regards to a, a, a book you can go to to get this kind of information at this stage. Uh, and I think that the other part of it, which is absolutely critical, is I think that you're going to do a disservice to your client if you're looking at accounting without tax. If you don't understand the tax piece, that's such a significant component to booking entries in, in the accounting books. So, for example, uh, excise tax to a retailer is a is a cost of goods sold deductible item, where typically you think of all taxes and licenses as other um, administrative expenses, which in the cannabis space, 280E ends up being a, a situation where those tax and license activities would generally be non-deductible. So, therefore, now you have a situation where that excise tax is not only deductible, but it also is a reduction from gross sales. So therefore, there's some very interesting adjustments that you have to make with your thinking about how you want to be able to enter the market providing services to the space. So if I'm a bookkeeper or an accountant who just provides accounting services and not tax, I should definitely pair up with a tax expert in this space, such as yourself. It it makes a lot of sense that way. And the other thing that, that I've encourage our clients generally to do is to have some bookkeeping support themselves on site because there's just so this is an extremely dynamic industry and there's so many things that are going on day by day by day whether it's creating manifests which is a whole new term for accountants uh, which is actually a traveler that, that says product is moving. So so that's a whole new thing that should be done. There's things happening every day. And to outsource the bookkeeping well, it's it's hard to do in a, in a cannabis environment, is my opinion. What I find is best is that the on-site accountant, excuse me, on-site bookkeeper will have a remote desktop connection to the program that they're working in such that they can then do their duties, but with minimal risk of, of errors, emissions, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So how portable is this skill set? I mean, the, and what I mean by that is Illinois just passed legalization, right? They, can you just 
flip-up shop here and go open there, or do you have to start from scratch because the laws, the way they're going to treat it and handle it and track it is going to be so far from what California is doing? The latter, not the former. It will be a lot more difficult to go into a new territory. Uh, I have a map of LA County and what areas we service and what areas we can't service. And when I say, why can't we service them? It's because there's already somebody firmly in place there or people that are firmly in place there providing that service. So to be a switcher and and try to switch them their services to ours would be near impossible. However, the areas that we do target, there are areas where uh, there are higher net income individuals and higher net income demographics. So those folks are willing to shop two, three, four, five accountants, and then pick. Uh, now, our number one source is those folks will go to their attorney, and their attorney is their greatest advisor, and who will then say, talk to these folks right here. And uh, more often than not, uh, we close those deals. So, From the portability state by state, I think it's a very difficult task because the... Um, because, as I've mentioned, the taxation is rooted at the local level, and so, and, and also the the way in which micros are defined in California is different than the way micros are defined in other states, and so forth. So, therefore, you you have to have somebody that really is well entrenched for the local kinds of activities. From a standpoint of of general setup and accounting system. Um, Compliance with 280E, which is what what's deductible, what's not. Those kinds of things are somewhat transport transportable from state to state. But again, to do a complete job, you really have to have a good understanding of whatever's going on locally. So that's interesting because like a lot of cloud accountants, one of the benefits is if I want to only do bike shops, I can take bike shops all over the country, all over the world, and there's not a problem. But it sounds like this; it's very localized. Like you you can't build that same kind of business model. It was intentionally built that way, I believe, uh, on the simple basis of keeping Big Pharma out for a good, what's been now, 20-some-odd years. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, The reason being, if you follow from 1996, the Conditional Use Act, through 2003, uh, it was patients and the the way you paid, quote-unquote paid, was donations. Uh, 2003 came around and opened up the doors for more uh, 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 retail storefronts. And so that's where you kind of saw that explosion. I don't know if you followed in the news, there were more, at the, in, in 2007, there were more uh, uh, pot shops than Starbucks. Well, definitely on my street. I live on Ventura Boulevard <laughs> in the San Fernando Valley. So it's, it used to be a Starbucks every block, and now it's a pot shop every, every mm. block or two. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Yep. Well, um, Thomas and Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to have you on the show. I learned a lot. I think David did too. I've learned a ton. Yeah. So if people want to reach out to you and connect with you and learn more about what you're up to, where's the best place for them to do that online? Well, I, I would say the best thing to do is to email me either at thomas at cannabiscpa.tax or Bruce. And uh, Bruce is at Bruce at uh, CannabisCPA.tax. Yeah, and we'll be uh, we'll be filling out through the social media areas as well. Mm-hmm. Our website is up right now, and so uh, that's a good place to start. All right, sounds great. Perfect. And uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And how about you, David? I'm at David Leary. And uh, we'll see you again another time. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the opportunity.